Hey, and thanks again, Juan, for leading us so well in worship. We want to welcome all of you who are joining us here at the Table Church San Francisco. And today we're going to be talking about a mission statement. And basically, um, I've got a few mission statements from, from some San Francisco businesses to get us started as we talk about a mission statement. We're in the midst of a series right now called Resurrection Living. And you can go back and listen to some of those sermons on our website or you can go to our YouTube channel, The Table Church San Francisco, and listen to some of those. But today's message is about a mission statement and joining God in God's mission is what we're going to be talking about today. So as a primer, I thought we'd get started with listening to some mission statements from some San Francisco companies here. Uh, San Francisco's Humphrey Slowcomb Ice Cream says, Stuck at home? Have an ice cream party. Oh, you got to love that one. Uh, they go on to say, welcome to our bizarre, delicious, frozen universe. What a great mission statement. Google's mission statement is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. SF MoMA, San Francisco's Museum of Modern Art. Their mission statement is a dynamic center for modern and contemporary art engaging and inspiring a diverse range of audiences. Here in San Francisco, the Exploratorium, their mission statement, a public learning laboratory exploring the world through science, art, and human perception. San Francisco's largest employer, Salesforce, their mission statement is to empower companies to connect with their customers in a whole new way. And lastly, UCSF, University of California, San Francisco, both the medical center, the hospital, uh, the medical school, uh, all nurses. Uh, by the way, a shout out to all nurses, all doctors, not only at UCSF, but in every uh, nursing facility all over San Francisco, all over the country and the world. First responders, we are so grateful. We pray for you. Thank you for what you do uh, as you embark on your mission to bring health to people, restore people's health, and search for a vaccination for this global pandemic. Thank you. Oh, by the way, UCSF's mission statement. Our mission, the reason we exist, is caring, healing, teaching, and discovery. See, what all mission statements have in common is there's some audience, there's to be a recipient for the mission statement, and then there's the mission statement that's going to tell us what you do, how you do what you do, and why you do what you do. And Jesus' mission statement, as we're going to look at it here moments from now, encompasses all of those elements there. There's going to be an audience in mind, there's a what to do, there's how to do it, and there's a why to do it. So I'm sure this mission statement of Jesus is going to encourage all of us uh, this morning as we jump into it. I'm going to be reading this mission statement of Jesus from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It's the first book in the New Testament. I'll give you a moment to find that. You may be looking on your phone or on your computer or perhaps just old school. You've got the old school Bible out right now, and uh, I invite you to turn there. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16 through verse 20. Let's read it together. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's start with the context of Jesus' mission statement. And the first thing I want to say here about Jesus' mission statement is it's not a mission statement. That's right. It's not a mission statement. It's a mission blessing. Indeed, it's a mission blessing or benediction, you might say. Bene means good and diction means word. So a good word. This is a good word to these disciples, these followers of Jesus who's listening to Jesus. Give this mission blessing. See, the context is these disciples had just lost their best friend. They watched his ministry unfold. They watched him selflessly give his life for them. Yes, he laid his life down as an atoning sacrifice. He was murdered. He was crucified on a cross. These disciples watched it. And so now Jesus is making these post-resurrection appearances. Yes, Jesus has risen from the dead. Thus the series, that the preaching series that we're in right now, the sermon series, Resurrection Living. Jesus has risen from the dead and he's making these post-resurrection appearances to bless his disciples. To bless his disciples. If you go back and look at these post-resurrection appearances, Jesus famously says in almost all of them, Peace to you. He's blessing his disciples. And he's blessing them to build their faith. He wants to encourage them in this most difficult time of having lost Jesus. So they thought, now Jesus is back and he's there to bless them. And so this is a mission blessing that Jesus is giving those disciples. Google defines the word benediction, the utterance of a blessing. Psalm 67 reminds us about God blessing us. The context of God blessing us is so that he would bless the nations. See, the blessing was to come to you. It was to come to me. It was to to come through those disciples and go all the way to blessing the nations. Psalm 67 reads, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way, O God, may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God's mission is a blessing. That's the very first thing we want to say as we get started in this message today. The recipients of this mission blessing, who are the recipients? Who is this mission blessing being given to? Verse 17, it says that they worshiped Jesus, but some doubted. Hmm, very interesting here. It doesn't say just that they worshiped, but it says that there were some who doubted. See, being a disciple of Jesus means that, yes, you're a follower of Jesus, and yes, you worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and you doubt at times, this risen Lord Jesus Christ. See, in every group of believers, 
It means that there are worshipers and doubters, and a lot of times those worshipers and doubters are the same people. There's both, there's both worship within us and doubt within us. I love how this says in verse 17 that they worship Jesus, but some doubt it. See, worship is the right response to Jesus in that moment after seeing him rise from the dead and now he's giving us this mission statement. Worship is the right response, but doubt is so understandable, isn't it? One commentator of this passage says, Matthew, our gospel writer, understands that the fluctuation between worship and indecision is every disciple's struggle. What is needed is confidence that Jesus is Lord of all and present with them, all of them, at all times. See, we are the audience. We are the recipients of this mission blessing. We are those worshipers. We are those doubters. Verse 18, Jesus said to them, them plural. I hope you're looking at this with me. It's such great news. Jesus said to them. Notice that it doesn't say that Jesus divided up the group and he took the worshipers and he put the worshipers on this side and he took the doubters and he put them on this side. And he gave a certain set of words and blessing to the worshipers and he gave another word of shame to the doubters. That's not, that's not at all what Jesus is doing here. Jesus didn't say, hey, stop the party. Stop the celebration going on because there's some doubters in here. This mission is not for doubters. This mission is only for worshipers. You doubters, go sit on the bench. Rather, you doubters, just go home. No, Jesus includes the doubters. Jesus has space for the doubters and includes them in the mission. And that's because according to Jesus, Jesus' mission is a team sport. It's a team blessing. The mission is not done alone. It's done in community. See, the mission is not just for heroic leaders Heroic spiritual leaders or pastors or professional disciples and Christians. Not just for gifted, charismatic people. It's for the doubters. It's for the weak among us. We're all those missionaries. Yes, some of us are vocational missionaries, but we're all of us are missionaries. All of us who are disciples and followers of Jesus are missionaries. We are the recipients of this blessing. Now, why is there? Why is there a mission blessing? You and I are asking, right? We said that the why must show up in every great mission statement. Well, it's got to show up here too. Why is there a mission blessing? Verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, this is part of the why of Jesus' mission there's a why that compelled God to have a mission and for Jesus to be a part of this mission. Jesus is making this audacious claim that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And until you understand and know the person of Jesus, you may just think he's just some power monger. He's just like, Jesus is just like any other institution or any other person who's wanting authority Someone that has power, skills, resources, networks. 
And it's just to dehumanize and to suck the life out of everyone else. But that's not what Jesus is up to when he makes this statement. Jesus is trying to liberate us. That's the mission that he's on. And we have to go back all the way to the very beginning to understand the why of the mission, that God had promised a Redeemer. God had promised a Messiah who would come. And that Jesus would come to seek and save those who were truly lost, those who were truly broken, those who truly were hungry and needed a hero to restore them and restore the story that had gotten so messed up. The gospel writer Luke in Luke chapter 4 records Jesus as Jesus is inaugurating the kingdom of God. Jesus is starting his earthly ministry. He, um, on the Sabbath, one Sabbath, he stands up there in the synagogue and as was custom, they would read from the scriptures. Well, Jesus does that. He reads from the scriptures and Jesus profoundly reads from the scripture of Isaiah chapter 61. And what's so profound is this text would have been written around 700 years before Jesus is on the scene fulfilling being the mission or the Messiah in their very midst. So let me read a portion of Isaiah chapter 61, which Jesus quotes in Luke chapter 4. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus said, today scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's why there's a mission blessing. Now what do you do with that mission blessing? And how do you do this mission? That's also wrapped up here in this mission blessing in verse 19. He says, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So whenever you and I ask, what is the mission? What is this mission blessing? And how are we to do this mission blessing? He says, go. Go and make disciples. I see, go and going and making disciples is as much a part of the gospel of Jesus as come to me, all of you who are heavy laden and burdened and you will find rest for your souls. See, the gospel always, the gospel of Jesus, good news of Jesus always includes, come to me, those of you who are hungry, those of you who need rest, and I will give that to you. I will fulfill you in that way. And then Jesus says, now go and make disciples of others who are also hungry, See, there's this great privilege of being included in this mission. There's this cadence, this rhythm as a disciple and follower of Jesus is that we're perpetually, repetitively coming to Christ. And as we keep coming to Christ, we're sent out. We're to go in his name and make disciples. That's the rhythm of the table church here in San Francisco. It's not about how many people we can gather into a building It's more about how we can send others to go and be a blessing to others. How we can equip and send others 
to go and invest gospel seeds and plant gospel seeds and plant gospel flags all over the city of San Francisco. If you're a painter, what this mission would mean for you is not that you need to start painting crosses on every artwork that you do. If you're a designer, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to start designing Christian t-shirts. If you're a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, and you're a writer, to do the mission or be in mission doesn't mean that you're supposed to start writing theology books. Although we're grateful for those of you who are followers and disciples of Jesus that you went on and you wrote books about theology and the Bible. And if you're a scholar or a teacher, doing the mission doesn't mean that you're necessarily supposed to go and start being a Bible or a theology professor. See, we're talking about faith in the workplace. We're talking about fulfilling and being on mission in the workplace, in your place of vocation. And I love some other supporting verses in Scripture that we find. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 is an example. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, that's how you're supposed to be doing and fulfilling the mission in the workplace. Another one is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. that says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, going means go. Going doesn't mean waiting for people to come to you or waiting for people to come to a building called the church. You and I, disciples of Christ, you and I, the church, we are the church. We're, we're on a mission to go. We're being sent out to, to go and enter their world, treating people with love and respect. And for our co-workers, what this means is doing all things with excellence. That's how we're to fulfill the mission. This mission blessing, the doing of it, is where Christ's presence is, is with you and with me so, so that whenever we work, our work is a testimony to those around you. You and I may ask some thought-provoking, reflective-type questions to ourselves regarding our faith and our mission in the workplace? Am I praying for opportunities? Am I praying for opportunities to share my identity with Christ? Or am I totally afraid that there's going to be some opportunity that God gives me to identify with Jesus? Or am I clouding the message of the gospel in a way that I work? Meaning, am I working in such a way that's truly not honoring Christ? Am I relating to my coworkers in such a way that's clouding the message of the gospel? That's not carrying the mission of the gospel forward? Or our friends, yes, those people that we would be meeting with for coffee or wine and cheese and, of course, done virtually at this point. I had that opportunity just last week for my running club to host a beer run. Yes, to meet up with people essentially for a happy hour, just to continue getting to know one another. 
to have fun and to listen to people's stories. This is carrying the mission forward, being Christ's very presence there among our friends who are Buddhist, who are Muslim, who are very religious or maybe not very religious at all, who are atheist. And maybe we begin to ask some thought-provoking questions to ourselves as we reflect. Am I afraid of being embarrassed? Am I afraid of being embarrassed by identifying with Christ? Am I afraid of losing my friends if I do such a thing? And of course, we're not being asked to identify with Christ in an obnoxious, random, overbearing way. No. Another thought-provoking question is, am I fearful of not knowing the answer to someone's question? Maybe that's what keeps you from identifying with Christ or carrying the mission forward in some of those relationships that you have with friends. Or maybe your family members. This is another way of carrying out that mission. That mission going forward through you to your family members. It means owning up to something that you've done that's wrong. Yeah, owning up to your sin. Asking for forgiveness. Yes, the mission of God moves forward and you join God in the mission when you admit wrong and when you admit weakness to someone and that you've hurt someone. See, the mission, therefore, is giving away what you've received. That's how the mission is to be done. That's what the mission is. It's simply giving away what you've been given. Forgiven? Now go and forgive others. Loved? Now go and love others. Blessed by God? Yes, of course, loved and forgiven by God, but blessed by God, now go. Be a blessing to others. See, it's pledging glad allegiance to God. It's joining God in this mission. It's joyful participation. Joining God in the mission. Look at verse 19. This is, again, part of the how. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. See, how we're supposed to engage and join God in this mission is that there's a gospel-centeredness to this mission, that Jesus is gathering people, and going is a response to Jesus coming to us. Jesus, we've got to see that Jesus is the joyful and obedient missionary. Jesus is the great, joyful, and obedient missionary that came to you and came to me and came to those disciples so many years ago so that they would be sent and so that you and I would indeed go. Notice again the audience and the recipients of this missionary and this mission's blessing that he gives. He toggles back to the audience once again. We, we talked about the audience, audience from the very beginning, the beginning, the recipients. Remember we said it was worshipers and doubters. But now look what else he does in this mission's blessing. He says in verse 19, he says, all nations, it's to include all nations. And that's because this mission's blessing was not to be ethnocentric anymore. See, there was a time where Jesus was giving this blessing to them and this blessing was 
not to be an ethnic, political, religious center of Judaism there in Jerusalem. That was not to be the center anymore. It was to go to the nations of the earth. It was to be eccentric, as we might, as we might say. Move away from the center. It was to be going to the outer edges of society. It was to be multi-ethnic, multicultural. Right now, I've been enjoying a great um, doc series on PBS called Asian Americans, and there's a lot of reasons you need to see this documentary. But one of the reasons that I uh, recommend you seeing, is, seeing it is that it reminds us that in the year 2042, the minorities here in the United States will become the majority. That's wonderful news to me personally. The New York Times... The New York Times confirms this prediction. And I love here that for us in being a part of this global gospel expansion, this mission going forth to all nations, is that it will include all nations. The mission is not. The mission is never, ever missionaries going from the United States of America to a foreign country and converting people to the American way of doing things. That has never, ever been the mission of Jesus. We're never, ever told that that's how we're supposed to do the mission and why we're supposed to do. No, it just doesn't show up in the Gospels. That the mission is not taking your culture and trying to infuse your culture into someone else um, or into some other culture. That's not the mission. See, the, the, the formula for disaster is to resist becoming like the people that you're ministering to. And we know several stories of some missionaries uh, in years past would not only refuse to learn the language, the native language of a given country that they were missionaries in, but they would insist on importing Western culture at every point. That is not the mission. The gospel formula, the gospel formula, we find Paul doing this. Another great missionary that we see in the New Testament, Paul. He was against Christ. He, he was ravaging the church. He, he was persecuting the church. He then gets converted and then becomes a great missionary and church planter. And he writes... To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win the Jews. To the Greeks, I became like a Greek. To the weak, I became weak. I have become all things so that by all possible means, God might save some. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. See, all disciples of Jesus located all over the globe are missionaries. To everyone, everywhere. It's not that missionaries are just being sent from the United States of America. Missionaries are all over the world inviting God to use them and taking up this invitation to join God in the mission. Please remember the promises that God made there in the New Testament for us. In John chapter 4, there, there, was, a, there was a promise where the woman at the well, there's a great story of a, of a woman drawing water out of a well. She comes and 
meets Jesus, and Jesus treats her as, as no other man had ever treated her before, meaning respect. Jesus didn't look at her as an object, but he treated her with respect. She knew she was hungry, and then he, he not only uh, talks to her about drinking water, but then he says that uh, he, Jesus, can fulfill her thirst. He, he, Jesus knows that she's truly thirsty for something else. And so Jesus reveals to her that he is searching for worshipers. He is on this mission to redeem and restore people. And so this woman becomes a follower of Jesus, a believer. And then John chapter four says that she goes to her village and others in that village also believe in Jesus because of her testimony. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I have other sheep who are not of this fold yet, but they will believe in me through your message. Jesus had already promised that the mission would go through those disciples and reach others to all nations. John chapter 17 is Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane before he's crucified. He prays not only for those disciples, but those who would believe in him through their message. Quite profound that Jesus is praying for you and I that very night. And yes, we got the message, didn't we? It came to the nations through those disciples. Back to Psalm 67 again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that God's way may be known on earth and God's saving power among all nations. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. See, the focus of the mission is a gospel-centered mission. Now go. Now go. Go out there and just do it. Well, aren't you grateful that Jesus' mission blessing doesn't end in that way? And so the sermon is not going to end in that way with us just being sent out there to go do it. The last verse that we're going to look at in this mission blessing is verse 20. And this I find personally, and I've talked with lots of other people, to be perhaps one of the most encouraging things about this mission blessing, and that is that God is present with you in the mission. Verse 20, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age, that you're not alone in this mission. God's promise, again, goes back to the very beginning that he would not abandon us. He would not set us off on this fool's errand. It would not be all up to you and to me and something we're to be nervous about or feel pressurized about. But it's a mission of joy. It's a, it's a mission of having received grace and that grace growing in us and now it begins to overflow through us in different, unique, and creative ways as we join God in this mission. But Jesus says, I am with you. Do you get that? Do you, do, you, do you live like that? I'm encouraging you. I'm challenging you. I, I, I want you to hear this. Live this week on mission. And remember that Jesus, the embodiment of God, is with you. 
And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus' phrase here, that I'm with you to the end of the age. Oh, this gets really good. That Jesus stands with you, not only right now in your present time, but Jesus is already standing at the end of history, waiting on you and I as the story ends. He's already there. Jesus waits at the end of the story to heal and renew every pain and every bit of suffering that you and I have ever gone through. He's already standing there to heal it. That's what Jesus means whenever he says, I am with you always. Yes, present. Present with you today and yes, forever because Jesus and God, they're outside. God is outside of time to the end of the age. See that God's mission is eventually, God is on a mission eventually to end all war. That's his mission, to end all division, to end all racism, to end all hatred, to end all poverty and injustice and disease and suffering. That's what his mission is. God's mission is to redeem not just souls, but bodies. Bodies, and God will bring about a new heavens and a new earth, he promises, in the book of Revelation. As we're closing, I'm going to quote from Revelation chapter 7, and this gives us a glimpse of who is truly included in this mission blessing as it goes. Revelation chapter 7 says, After this, and I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before God's throne with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Non-Christian, this invitation goes out to you. Non-Christian, come to Christ. All of your hungers, all of your, all of your hungers, all of your thirsts that your soul truly longs for, that deepest friendship and relationship that you've always longed for is found in Jesus. Come to Jesus. Find your identity, find your rest in Him. He's there for you. He won't abandon you. He won't let you down. For Christians, for disciples, for followers of Jesus, both worshipers and doubters, this message is for you. Come to Christ. Come to Christ repetitively and go. Go out into this violent city and this violent world as agents of peace. Go out into a racist and broken city and a broken world as agents of reconciliation. And go out into a needy world and a needy city as servants of the sick and poor. As we close and pray, I want you just to imagine Jesus, the great missionary, who sees the crowds as harassed and helpless. And who comes to those crowds, those very ones who are harassed and helpless. Let's see that very Jesus as we pray to this Jesus, the missionary who came to us and let's pray that God would indeed help us join God on this mission as he works it 
through us who are broken, yet as he works it quite powerfully and creatively. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, you are the great missionary who came to us. You laid your life down for us. We thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection. We thank you for the power you give us in fulfilling the mission. We thank you that your very presence is with us. And so we pledge glad allegiance to you, King Jesus. And we thank you for including us in this global gospel mission. Blessing. Bless the nations, we pray. Amen.